0: Welcome to Be the Phoenix of Your Own Life, The Feminine Rising. My name is Julie Paulston. I am your host, and I am so absolutely honored that you stopped by. Each week, I'm going to be sharing my own personal journey, and I'm also going to be interviewing some incredible people that will be sharing their journeys as well, in hopes that we can educate, motivate, and inspire you to live the best possible life that you can. So grab your favorite beverage, maybe a snack or two, sit back, relax, and enjoy, because at the end of the day, this truly is all about you. Good morning and welcome back to being the phoenix of your own life. My name is Julie and I am so happy that you're here. I'm recording this on a Friday and it is absolutely beautiful. And it's like one of the very first days that it actually feels like fall here in Northwest Florida. It's actually going to be a high of 66. What? I actually put on sweats this morning. Who thunk it? So I have a really uh, amazing guest and my guests lately have just been like showing up And I know it's the universe's best, however you want to call it, his way of putting people in my life. And I know their stories are so impactful and Shelly is no different. And as you guys know, if you've been listening to me for a while, I don't introduce people or read bios because to me. I want you to hear them introduce themselves. And plus, it always sounds like a dating site thing. Shelly likes long walks on the beach. <laughs> so, my first or my guest today is Shelly Pumphrey. And Shelly, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then I have a question
1: for you. Oh boy. <laughs> Don't worry, it's not no. scary. <laughs> All right, I can do scary. It's okay. I, I try to lean into that. That's that's the point here. Um. So yeah, how do you introduce me? I I I love that you're not doing it like reading the bio because that always feels so impersonal. So I could, you know, talk about well, I'm a therapist. I've done lots of things. Um. So I can, you know, I'll, I'll say a few of those things, but I guess I want to just start with. I'm a person, I'm a human being and I um, am a recovering, maybe I'll call it a recovering chameleon who used to try to be somebody that I thought other people wanted me to to be. Um, And so I'm really uh, still at age almost 51 trying to come into myself and be who I am. Um, So it's always an interesting question of who are you? What do you do? You could really go deeply on this, right? So I am actually, the things that I do are that I am a mental health therapist and I have specialized in working with trauma, relationship issues, domestic violence for over 27 years. It's just been been my life um, of the healer, I guess. I created, I've been in private practice for uh, 10, 11 years now. I created a holistic mental health practice where we have several employees, we do therapy, but we also really challenge kind of this traditional mental health model of walk in the door, get a diagnosis, here's your medication, and hopefully you feel better. I mean, I'm simplifying it obviously, but you know, really looking at trauma as the underlying factor for most of our not so good feelings or behaviors in our lives, and looking at holistic ways to help people heal where you know it could be you know, through trauma work and psychotherapy, it could be acupuncture, we do herbal medicine, nutrition, Reiki and energy work, we do yoga, so lots of different yummy things to help people heal. Um, So that's like, that's my passion. And I'll probably share more as the interview goes on about how that has kind of um, evolved in the last year. But I, I will say I I did end up selling my mental health practice and I'm currently running it for the company that purchased it along with another practice that's very similar to mine. I'm running both for them right now. And I'm an author. I'm writing a book right now. And uh, the, the name of the book is Inside is 2020, How to Trust Yourself to Protect Yourself from Narcissists, Bullies, and Toxic People. And right Ooh. now it's due to be published in May of 2022.
0: Oh my gosh. I'm so so excited. So that is going to lead me directly. Like that was like, if there was a perfect segue, that would have been it. So we've all been in the ship pit. We've all been in the ashes of our lives. And I think it's important that we share our journeys. So what is a time where's a? what was a pivotal time in your life where you were in the ashes of your life and had to reclaim your divine inner Phoenix and really how has that impacted your journey to now and see it impacting it from beyond now?
1: You know, it's hard to pick one shit pit cause there's been several.
0: I you think When you get to be I our mean, age, you know, I'm 54, right? you're 50, you're almost 51. When you get to be our age, there are multiple shit pits. So yeah. it's kinda like, let me see, rock, paper, scissors, go.
1: <laughs> exactly, which one do I choose? Um, I think that probably what feels relevant is the, mo- is the most recent shit pit. And I think, you know, I, I'll just put into context, you know, we were all in the pandemic. 2020 was like the year of hell for everybody, it seemed like. And that was kind of the beginning of hell. And then came 2021. And I'm like, wow, as of today, we're like 10 months into my year of hell. And it's felt like 10 years. So essentially, I'll try to give kind of a short background of how I got to this shit pit. (laughs) Um, I grew up in a home where things were okay for the first 10 years of my life, despite my loving parents getting a divorce. And then my mom married a narcissistic man when I was about nine or 10, and he was very abusive. And they both became addicts. Well, I, I was probably an addict before, but my mom became an, a cocaine and alcohol addict. They owned a bar and spent most of their time there. And it was like my life kind of came to a halt at that point. And, and I came into this world of trauma that really shut me down and impacted, you know, pro- everything for the rest of my life, which is what trauma does to us. I grew up you know for several years just watching domestic violence they finally got a divorce but then watched you know lived with my mom and watched her addiction cycle and all these men come in and out of the home that you know i'd call the police on them for fights and so i got this intense role modeling of relationships at a pivotal time in my life and i also had a narcissistic stepfather who was actually a very well-known man in our community. He was a a political figure. And on the outside, everybody loved him. And which is kind of how narcissists are. It's like these charismatic people, he was doing all this good in the world at, but at home he was a tyrant and scared the shit out of me. So there was always this like questioning in my mind, like what's wrong with me? Am I the, it must be me. What's, you know, so it's kind of started this, I mean, I just shut down. I, I was a terrified kid. I was shy. I was at this new school. I didn't talk to anybody. And it really kind of started me off in this lifetime of being really insecure, very anxious, um, unsure of myself and always questioning myself and relationships. And I was a caretaker. I was the caretaker for my family because I was the oldest of and had two siblings and and my mom was pretty checked out. So that was what I did. So that was kind of the the background of kind of where I started. Flash forward through my life, I went, I was married for 10 years together for 12 and had two kids, and then had several relationships after that after we divorced. And of course, I began to see a theme in my life of narcissistic men and very emotionally unavailable men and kept, like, I, I ha- after my marriage, I got into a relationship with a very abusive, grandiose narcissist, mm. you know, the kind that we think of on TV. And I think I came out, I was so starved for love and attention coming out of a marriage that felt very empty of that. And this guy was like, all you know, it was all about love and attention and affection. It was like water to my dried up sponge of a heart, you know?
0: <laughs> and it was
1: a horrible two and a half years of learning about narcissism, even though as a therapist, I knew about narcissism, but I got trapped in this relationship, got out of it, did a ton of personal growth work for about 10 years. Thinking that I was really trying to work on this pattern. And I had a couple of long term relationships with narcissistic men, nothing as bad as that one. And then, but just kept finding assholes, basically. And Mm -hmm. I stopped dating. I started writing a book. This was a different book than the one I'm writing now and was like, fuck this. I'm done with relationships. I'm going to figure out and I'm going to try to heal myself. And I just did all this internal work and I was feeling so much better. And about four or five years ago, I inadvertently met this man who I wasn't, you know, I was kind of that fairy tale, like, when you're not looking, you'll find Mm -hmm. love. And that Mm -hmm. was kind of what it felt like. I was like, see, the universe did that for me. And he was kind and generous. And he just seemed like the most sensitive man. And I, I, I fell deeply in love with him. In retrospect, missed red flags that were there from the very beginning that he was also a narcissist.
0: I think we see those red flags and we're like, oh, look at those pretty red flowers. Because we, we have <laughs> exactly. our emotional blinders on as women. We're like, I've done all this work on myself. It has to be a good person this time.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's like, and, and I had this, you know, I, I did feel that I thought I like, I know this. I'm working with it every day as a therapist. Like I can't miss this again. And he came in talking about his ex-wife who was a narcissist, supposedly a narcissist. And everything ju- I was we were so focused on that that it also was kind of this big smokescreen. you know. The other thing that happened is, I- I'm a very empathic, compassionate person. Like I see this wounded person in front of me. And it's not that I'm being like codependent and trying to take care of things for him. I am just sensitive to like, oh, he's being an asshole right now. I have a belief. One of my mantras is hurt people, hurt people. So here's this hurt person that's hurting me right now. I feel so bad for him. And I don't, I don't turn the compassion inward. I can, I turn it on him. And that's, that's how people often get in these abusive relationships. You know, it's often empaths and sensitive types like, like this, that, you know, we will, you know, we'll love a serial killer and forget that we our lives are in danger, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that was kind of what was going on. And he presented as a nice guy, but then after time and we, you know, our relationship became committed. As soon as that happened, the ma- as we say in the world of dealing with narcissists, the mask came off and I realized I was, living with a full-blown controlling abusive narcissist and this happened right before the pandemic hit oh and I was you know all of a sudden we're stuck in this house 24 7 with teenagers and and I and I'm trying to run a business and be a mental health therapist helping people through the pandemic while we're going through the trauma to gut as well and my but bo- i just shut down i just i thought i was going to lose my shit you know i gained like all this weight and one of the things i talk about in my book is the physical effects of stress and especially when you're in an abusive relationship what happens to your body and how that in uh, in and of itself is a red flag you know so flash forward i start realizing oh my god this is not good i've joined my life with this person I don't know how I'm going to get out. He had money, I didn't. And the universe came forward and gave me a solution. This is kind of where I came to selling my business. The universe I, It was not something I was planning to do. And somebody came knocking at my door basically and said, Hey, have you ever thought about this? And I'm like, no. And I don't want to, but I think I need to. And it propelled me forward. And literally within the last 10 months, I sold my business, realized I needed to get a divorce and finalized a divorce, I have written a book, I am actually submitting my full manuscript today. Oh, I'm and, so glad that it's um,
0: today that we get to
1: do the interview. I, today. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Right? I mean, <laughs> so and I started another business. So it like, All of this has happened. I mean, I literally, I just, I was a complete shit show 10 months ago. I really, there were also other things going on in my family that, oh, and my narcissistic stepdad died in the last few months too. Um, So there were like intense life stressors going on. And I think what attracted me to this Your podcast and the theme of this is just that Phoenix moment of like, right now I can sit here today and just reflect on like, oh my God, I thought that happened like five years ago, but it actually all happened in a few months. And I don't know how I, you know, I'm, it's divine, divine intervention, Yeah. yeah, trusting the flow and allowing myself to just surrender and go with it.
0: You know what's funny is you you bring up a point and you know every time I do a podcast and I ask somebody that question and they share their journey, it just like drops into my head about which direction I want to take the interview and what questions I want to ask and It's a question and a statement because you and I are both in the same field. You do mental health therapy and you, uh, which I'm a level two Reiki practitioner as well. So I love Reiki. I'm a huge fan of acupuncture and and therapy in a whole. And I think it's important for anybody that's listening to understand that at the end of the day, anybody that you go to for healing, there are so many healers that go through such horrific Experiences. And even though we are in the midst of helping others heal, we're still going through it. And I think there's this misconception in the industry, whether it's mental health therapy, whether it's life coaching, whatever it is, that these people don't have shitty days, that, you know, all of a sudden I'm a mental health therapist, I help everybody. Or I, in my case, I do NLP therapy and I help people work through trauma. We do these things. And at the same time, we could be sitting deep in the shit pit, deep in the grief, deep in the wounds of abandonment and the mother wound and all of these things. And I think the misconception out there is that we're just happy and we're always going to be okay. And People think, oh my God, all this happened to us. It never happened to us. It happened for us so that we would have the experience to be able to help other people heal. What are your thoughts about that?
1: Amen, sister. (laughs) That is like, (laughs) absolutely. I mean, I can say, you know, as a therapist, all of my shit has made me a better therapist. If I had lived a life with no hardship i couldn 't get it i mean I, I The deeper my pain, the deeper I can go with somebody in pain and can truly understand and help build that rapport i mean of course, as a therapist, you have to you have to know what your pain is and I, and of course we 're never perfect we 're never we never reach that destination. It's it's a process of unfolding and getting to know yourself. But I mean it just it informs my care in a way. And not in a way where I'm blind in how I treat people, but like it just is informed. I, I'm informed by it. Like I know this. I can help you. I've been here. And you know, I will say too like the shame of going through this, I mean, there's been, you know, for many years working through letting go of shame. And especially, you know, each time I had one of these relationships, I would have this idea of like, Shelly, you're a therapist, like you should, how did you miss this, you should be able to see this. And just beating myself up about it. And then, you know, just also remembering like, yeah, I'm human. Yeah. You know and this last one was the one it was really like damn, <laughs> I really thought I had it figured out this time, yeah, and ha- really had to work through the regret of like I saw it in the beginning, but I just he actually was a what we call a covert or vulnerable narcissist, and they present very differently from what we call the grandiose narcissist. And it was just a very sneaky, I was just, I mean, even the therapist in me was taken for a ride on that one. So I think there's just something to be said about that too. Like, yeah, we are human. We're not perfect.
0: That's the biggest thing is number one, we're human and our experiences allow us to go deeper, like you said, into our pain so that we can see your pain. And I think it's, People, I've had. I did an interview. Um, I haven't posted it yet. Um, it's coming up in the next couple of weeks. But I did an interview with a woman who survived sex trafficking, and mm. it was one of. I, I cried in the interview. It was. It was extremely painful to hear her story, but it's so eye-opening. The more that I do this, the more women that I interview, the more stories that I hear. I think it's so powerful to be able to share these stories, to be able to say, hey, listen, yeah, I'm a therapist. I have all these degrees. I run a business, I do all this. And at the end of the day, I'm still a fucking human being. And shame is probably, I mean, shame is probably the biggest one that, the biggest wound that I've worked through um, and continue Mm -hmm. to work through because something else will pop up. And you're like, oh, I thought I healed that, huh? Oh, okay. And then it pops back up again and you're like, the universe keeps sending people to you. And I firmly believe this, that the universe is going to keep sending you the same situation with a different face until you finally get to the point where you, you just throw your hands up in the air and you go, you know what? Fuck it. I surrender, but surrender doesn't mean giving up ladies surrender. Doesn't mean giving up. I surrender. What do I need to learn? And what do I need to let go of? And what do I need to look at no matter how painful this is going to be for me?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So what do you think now with your book, I'm, which I cannot wait till it comes out. Um, I have so many friends of mine that have been involved with men who are narcissistic. And I honestly, who this just popped in. So there are so many people that use the word narcissism, like you see it on TikTok and you see it on social media. And, oh, this guy's a narcissist and this guy's a narcissist. But I think people are overusing that term and using it as an excuse to either run from a relationship. And yes, there are very valid narcissists out there. Please don't get me, don't get it twisted. I'm not saying that there are. What truly is a narcissist? What is it that is an actual narcissist versus what's out on social media right now?
1: In, in reality, narcissism, the actual diagnosis, like being able to be diagnosed using our therapy book, the DSM-5 um, is very rare. I think it's only like 1% of the population can, is usually diagnosable as a narcissist. However, what I like to tell people are two things. One is narcissism exists on a spectrum. And you can, we are all narcissistic to some degree. We, and that's more of like, you can have a healthy ego, you can set boundaries, be a little self-centered, but then we move along the spectrum. And I think, you know, it's that people use the term and technically speaking to have narcissistic personality disorder, there are several, like there is a list of things that must be present in order to receive that diagnosis. But I think, you know, as, as social media does, like we can widely talk about things and all pretend like we're therapists, you know, at the end of the day, that's not really accurate. I do think that narcissism is more prevalent than the numbers show. I think part of it is that narcissists don't go to therapy. Narcissists don't show up saying I have a problem because they do not believe that they have a problem that's part of the disorder. So my sense is it's probably underdiagnosed, but then there's also a big chunk of people in that spectrum that aren't fully diagnosable, but have a lot of the characteristics. And I also think in the last, I don't want to get political, but in the last four to five years of our country and seeing a president that I will say it, who had characteristics of significant narcissistic personality disorder, um, it really raised our awareness of what that looks like. And I think people are starting to do like it, it brought it more into our vocabulary um, is kind of my sense of why it seems like people are talking about it more. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but you know, there are some of the things to look for, you know, with a narcissist is they lack empathy Um, they will often have the idea that they're superior to other people. Um, you know, you might hear, sometimes they're very open about it. Like I'm the best, you know, at everything, or people are jealous of me. I have special abilities or the law doesn't apply to me. It only applies to other people because I'm so special. They can have a tendency to do a lot of gaslighting, which is where they will turn things back on you and, and blame you, manipulate you, make you think, you know, basically gaslighting makes you question your reality. Like, you know, you catch a guy with, you know, texts on his phone saying, I love you. You're so sexy, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, I'm not cheating. Why are you looking at my phone? You're a crazy jealous person. What's wrong with you? How dare you do that? And then you're spinning like, oh my God, I'm a horrible person. What did I do? Oh my God. And the whole point is on you, not the fact that you just caught him cheating, right? That's I see that
0: so often. There's, there's a couple of groups that I'm in that have younger women in there and women in their twenties and thirties. And you see that all the time where they're like, my husband, you know, I saw this, this, and this, and this, should I leave, but I love Mm -hmm. him. And I'm watching this and I'm like, girl, it's like this girl run and we can't always run. I experienced domestic violence multiple times. I've experienced being in a relationship with someone who had very narcissistic tendencies and who was very good at gaslighting question. What do you think that trauma in their childhood has to do with the behaviors they're exhibiting as
1: adults? Are you talking about the narcissist? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, there's actually, there are several theories about why someone becomes a narcissist and there really is not one a hundred percent, like this is exactly why it happens. There are, there's research that shows that it can be genetic um, and passed Hmm. down. There is research around like Sometimes it's a parent that puts all the attention on a child when they're young and, you know, just kind of boosts them so much that they start to believe that they're, I mean, they just see themselves that way. So they become narcissistic. Um, It's often connected to childhood trauma, um, neglect, just being very unseen, unheard, you know, so there, it can be kind of the nature versus nurture kind of debate with narcissism. So that's, you know, that's kind of where, yeah, there's just no definitive answers to exactly why or where it comes from.
0: Yeah. And it's so, and you don't want women, you don't want us to be scared of getting into relationship. Cause like I've been single for so long that, you know, if I, if somebody, if I won a trip for two, I'd go twice. So, I mean, that's how long I've been single and I'm okay with it. And there's so many women that are our age and even younger that are scared to get into relationships because they see this all over because I mean, and like you said, and to be honest, it doesn't really matter what political party it is. We're talking about the human being, not the political party. We're talking about the actions of a human being. I think that women see that and they're really worried about, oh my God, well, I I want to date, but... So how, what are some things that are, that women can look for without being that woman that's going through their phone? Because I always tell women that if you feel the need to go through someone's phone, that right there should be like a double red flag on the beach. Don't get in the water. There's like jaws in there, but yet at the same time, and I've done it, we will look over while they're signing into their phone because they will never mm-hmm. leave their phone unlocked. We see the sign in. And then when they're in the shower or whatever, we like try and sneak in and read messages and do all that stuff. Yeah. What are some of the things that we can look for that will help us to maybe not go down that path?
1: Yeah, I'm excited that you asked that question because that is exactly what my book is about. You know, what, what I tell people is you could Google, narcissism all day long you could try to diagnose but that does not matter you don't need to know if this person is a narcissist you don't need to know if they're gaslighting you what you need to do is turn the focus inward and listen to yourself listen to the cues of your body and your intuition one of the things that i teach people is that we have trauma responses and when you are with somebody who's being an asshole Narcissist or not, you are going to have certain trauma responses that will tell you something is wrong. And over time, your job is to to start to identify, you know, is did this just happen once because we just had an argument, or is there a pattern that's going on and I'm always feeling this? You know, and so I in my book I talk about, you know, there's four different trauma responses that you, you know, many people have heard of fight or flight that we go into when we're feeling, you know, we're in a dangerous situation, but there's also freeze and fawn. And in my experience, people who are involved with narcissists do a lot of freezing and fawning. And freezing is is kind of what happens when you can't, when a trauma, a, a dangerous thing or a threatening thing happens Our our brain instantly is going to go into fight or flight, where that means either we're going to fight back to protect ourselves or we're going to try to escape the danger. And freeze often happens when we can't do either one of those. So what happens is our body just kind of shuts down and we freeze in the moment and we just become paralyzed until the danger or the threat passes. Um, And then the, the fourth style is fawning, which is where you learn to Basically, it's people pleasing. So if I'm really nice, if I agree to everything, if I do everything to take care of you and put my needs aside, then I won't be hurt. That happens a lot in narcissistic relationships. So I often tell people that, A, if you have been, like if you've come from a history of abuse where either you have post traumatic stress or maybe you don't know you have PTSD, post traumatic stress, but you, have grown up with abuse or have had a past relationship that's been abusive, your brain, your body is probably already engaging in some trauma reactions, whether you're aware of it or not. And so it's important to understand like what those can look like. And if you're, you know, part of what happened for me as a child, I learned how to fawn all the time. I was a fawner. And so it was very easy for me to fall into these relationships and become a people pleaser. And to just allow the abuse to happen, because that was where my brain was kind of trained to go back into um, is this kind of entrained response. So it's good to know that about yourself. Have you had past trauma or, what can trauma responses look like? And I could spend a whole other podcast talking about that, but I won't go into all those. Well, you know what? You, know, you might have to come back
0: and we'll do another <laughs> podcast about that. Right. That was,
1: we'll have episode two. This will
0: be episode one and we'll do episode two about all about the trauma response because that is right. It's, and, and looking back at my life, I, I see different times where I did that. And I remember, mm-hmm. um, I said this on, on another podcast, um, And I said, you know, we, as I think it was Oprah and she had on, I don't know if it was Dr. Oz or whoever it was, but we, they were talking about domestic violence and and that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. And they said, we, in the animal kingdom, we are the only animal that will hit flight or, you know, fight or flight. And we will justify not doing either and the freeze response. And the example they use made so much sense is, you know, say the elevator doors open and you look at the person in the elevator and there's Freddy Krueger in all of his glory and everything in your body says, get the fuck out of there, run as fast as you can. And then what happens is that little part of our brain goes, Oh, I don't, I don't want to offend him. Oh, I don't, I don't want to hurt his feelings. Oh, what's he going to think? Or what are they going to think if I say, Oh, you know what? I forgot something in my room. I'll just catch the next one. Instead we get on the elevator and then we wonder why we're a bloody mess when the doors open back up.
1: Exactly. Yeah. We override the signals of trauma and fear and I don't know if you ever read the book, uh, The Gift of Fear by Gavin um, He He talks about that. And I think that story was actually in his book and he shared it on Oprah. Cause I remember reading that in his book, but he, that's one of the things he talks about. Like we hear these things, I mean, and our, you know, our body is like screaming red flags and we freeze we, we override it or we fawn like, no, I'm it's, I don't want to hurt this guy's feelings. So I'm going to get on the elevator. You know, that's, that's exactly my point. And that I like to say, like when we, we are living under the influence of trauma, it's no different from driving under the influence of an, of alcohol, right? We are not able to make clear decisions, rational decisions when we are living in a state of fight, flight, freeze or fawn, because part of the part of our brain that gets activated when we are in that survival response is very primitive and the other part of our brain that is responsible for decision making and rational thinking and controlling our emotional responses it completely goes offline because we don't need to be thinking when we need to survive we need to be acting like quick yeah so our brain does that but so if, if, our freeze, if we're freezing or we're pleasing to be able to stay in this relationship, we're not thinking clearly, no. you know? We're just like, oh, I just have to do this to stay safe. And then 10 years later, here I am still in this abusive relationship, you know? So yeah, trauma is a huge influence on this. So I, that's something that I really encourage people to, to be able to understand But I, there is something else that I think doesn't, I don't see this a lot on, you know, when I'm looking at listening to YouTube videos or looking at people that talk about narcissism, but I think it's really important to know this other research that has come out by a woman named Sandra Brown. I don't know if you've ever heard her. She has done a ton of research on what she calls pathological love relationships. And she did a study where, they actually found that what she calls super traits. So she looked at personality traits of women who end up in abusive relationships, and they found two traits in particular that stood out that were like, I think it was something like 60% of women that had these traits ended up in, in these relationships. So I might be getting that number wrong, but the traits are agreeableness, and conscientiousness. Hmm. So what essentially what it means is that if you are somebody who is a very agreeable person, you're flexible, you're supportive, you know, you just get along with people, you're a nice, kind of like, you could also see that as kind of some of the people pleasing, but you could not be codependent, you could, you know, but you're just an agreeable person conscientious, you're very like, you pay attention to other people's feelings, you have a high degree of empathy, you know, you think about other people, you're very thoughtful in that way. Those people will also override a lot of the danger signals, because they're there to kind of make nice in relationships. And so, you know, that again, like, and I will say in my clinical experience, that has been something I've seen very consistently, I, you know, and I that's, part of my issue too you know there are these high functioning women who like seem like they got it together on the outside and then they're falling into these dangerous relationships and this is a big piece of it as well and sometimes it's that you have those traits in your personality and then you get into the relationship and the trauma kicks in and then you've got both that really create this trauma bond that makes it hard to get out of the relationship. Oh,
0: there is so much. Like I want to. I like okay. So we are going to do a part two. I I've just decided we're going to do a part two. That's just the way that it's going to be. I'm like, I looked at the time, and I'm like, damn it, why can't we talk for the rest okay? We could go today? on forever
1: on this, one. right? I'm
0: like, oh. I, have a, I always ask one last question, but before I ask that, how do people find you? How can people find you? And by the way, people, all the information, if you're driving right now, don't try and write this down because I want you to get to wherever your destination is, whole and complete. So everything will also be in the show notes. So when you go into the episode, you can read in the description, it will have all Shelly's information So for those that are sitting at a desk and have a utensil to write with, how do people find you?
1: Yes, please don't write while you're driving. Um, (laughs) So you can find my website. Um, It's either nesthealingcenter.com or shellypumphrey.com. We'll have that in the notes. And I'm also on Instagram uh, with my name, Shelly Pumphrey, or Facebook. So you can certainly look there. That's my new uh, kind of practice that I've started recently. Um, I also have my other two mental health practices that I'm running at the time, but we'll stick with the nest healing center for now. I
0: love that nest healing center. Cause it is the, it just, it's the nest. You want that crave that home, that comfort, that totally. I, Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. So I have a question for you and I think that this is going to be amazing. Um, there's going to be somebody that's listening to this, that's sitting in that shit pit that is sitting in that relationship with that person. And they're like, okay, this is all well and good, Julie. I'm glad you guys have made it out. And I'm glad you guys are on your healing journey, but dude, I'm stuck and I'm terrified and I can't see myself getting out. What is something that they can do to start the process and to find that ray of hope?
1: Well, I think the first thing is to notice that you're even having that thought because you can have that thought, like, I think I'm stuck. I need to get out. And then you can get, especially if you're with a narcissist, you can get lost in like thinking of all the positive things. And that keeps you stuck Um, because they also do a lot of love bombing. And, you know, at times you're like, God, it's been amazing, all these great things. And then all of a sudden he abuses you. And then you're like back, you know, in this shit pot and wondering what's going on. So trust that message. If you are questioning it or you feel stuck, like just know that's awareness is the first step. So having awareness that you're stuck. Great. You're on your way, girlfriend. You're on your way. And the I think one of the most important things is to reach outside of yourself and get help. If you can Find a therapist and afford a therapist. I know that can vary for people. Safely find a therapist. If you're in a really abusive relationship, sometimes that is hard to do. That's the first line of defense. And I have to say, you must find a therapist who actually knows and has experience working with narcissistic abuse, even if you just suspect that your partner might, might be a narcissist. Um, because Many therapists are not trained in this and miss it and can give you misleading and even dangerous advice. The other part is they must be a trauma therapist. And that means that they practice things that are connected to healing your body when you do trauma work, not just talking about trauma. Trauma lives in our bodies. And so treatments like EMDR, somatic experiencing, just body-oriented or, talk on their website. That's how you know you're dealing with a real trauma therapist versus someone who says they're a trauma therapist and they just talk about it. And again, I won't go into all why that's important, but it is. Yeah. And if, so I think, you know, finding help outside of yourself is crucial. Being with a narcissist in an abusive, abusive relationship, even if they have never laid a finger on you, can create post traumatic stress when, like I said, living under the influence of trauma, you may feel stuck for a really long time if you don't reach out and get some help. You know, an objective person to help you kind of muddle through all of this. Yeah. Um, and I will say one other thing: if you cannot get to a therapist and you're just like, you feel so stuck, probably one of the best things you can do is. Start journaling if you can safely do that. Write down everything that happens and date it and hide the journal from the narcissist. You don't want them to see this. Go back and keep reflecting on everything you've written because when you can go back and look at the pattern over time of all this shit that you've experienced, then you have proof in front of you because your mind is going to want to. Mm-hmm. tell you, no, it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's not that bad. And we forget a lot of the abuse that happens when you're being traumatized. You dissociate from it. So keep a journal and keep looking at it. And six months from now, three months from now, if you're still stuck, go back and look and say, oh shit, I'm still doing the same thing. Yeah. I need to do something. Two, two options there.
0: I love it. And it's uh, one of my favorite books uh, is The Body Keeps the Score. Love. Yes. It is very dry. Sometimes it's very hard <laughs> to read. You're like, Oh God, I'm going to go to sleep. But it is so important because th- with, with this type of work is understanding that your body stores every single experience that it's yeah. ever had in its musculos- muscular skeletal system. And so it's really about being able to release the energy that comes up when you start diving into this trauma, there's going to be shit that starts happening with your body. And if you're not aware your body, then all of a sudden your mind will take over. And we call it amygdala hijacking is when that primal takes over and goes, I'm going to make you safe. I'm going to keep you safe and I will do whatever it takes to make sure that you're safe if we don't take care of the body at the same time, it can be really super, super scary. So I love that you bring that up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Any last thoughts, Shelly?
1: Oh uh, no! I think this is just—I love that we were able to talk about this, and and you know, I just feel passionate about helping people understand this and and heal and just find you know. Just know that they can stop betraying themselves and and find love and peace and safety again. So thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate speaking with you. Oh,
0: it was my pleasure. It was my pleasure. It was my honor. And and uh, I'm so excited. And I we are definitely going to have a part two because I want to go even further into this because I think that this is huge. I think that 2020, if it if it showed us anything, the shit show of 2020 showed us how. Important mental health is it show it like put this big old spotlight that trauma does exist, that mental health is important, and that people are human and we need to be kind to each other. Quit quit being mean to each other, people. It's
1: nice. Please
0: be nice. nice. (laughs) Well, with that, I appreciate you. I honor your time. And for those that are listening, you know, I'm always going to close it out exactly the same way. If this resonated with you, please get a hold of Shelly. Um, and if, if anything, know through all of the trauma, through all of this, that you are enough. You were born enough. You are enough as you sit. You're not too tall. You're not too short. You're not too fat. You're not too skinny. You're not too light. You're not too dark. You're not too little. You're not too much. You're not too loud. You're not too quiet. You're enough as you sit. And if you could only see the divine light that shines back through your eyes, you would never doubt your greatness again. And so with that, my friends, thank you for hanging out with us. I can't wait to talk to you next week and have an amazing day. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. I appreciate you. And remember, you are loved. You are treasured. You are adored. You are worthy. And you are so more than enough. I hope that you were inspired. And if you were, please feel free to download, share, and leave a comment. I would be eternally grateful. Thank you so much and have an absolutely magical
1: day.